the rest of us are going to uh, look this morning at uh, Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, all 32 verses to you. We're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, on this chapter. So if you've uh, grown up uh, in Western culture, whether you've ever been to church or not, uh, these stories probably have some familiarity to you. Even if you've never been in a church in your life, you've heard probably about the prodigal son. Uh, you've heard that the use of that terminology. So, again, these are very uh, familiar uh, stories and texts to us, which make them uh, particularly dangerous. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that I, I was uh, laughing about at the early service was, uh, you know, I hear all the time from people, that was such a great sermon, I wish my blank were here to hear it which puts a lot of pressure on me because, uh, you know, I'm preaching to a faceless crowd, right, to somebody who's not here, right, that you really want them. And so uh, I I would like for you all to hear, you people here in this room, to be the ones who hear this. And uh, uh, that's my goal. That's what I'm shooting at. So um, so as we look at this today, I pray that uh, God would... uh, well, just make this fresh to us uh, and uh, not uh, give us uh, into uh, the the contempt uh, that comes often with things that we, uh, at least we believe we're familiar with. So let me read to you all of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. Text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to him and the Pharisees to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me 
as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. For when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So, you know, I was kind of joking at the beginning when I said, you know, that uh, uh, the the text, you know, you you come to church and you think, well, I wish so and so had heard that sermon. Well, one of the, one of the things that you know, we, when we tend to read this uh, parable, especially if you're familiar with it, do you think it's not for you? <laughs> and the reason why you think it's not for you is because you're not lost and you're not prodigal, right? Uh, well, that's the point. This these parables were not told. For lost people or for prodigal people, right? That's one of the great things about this. So, you know, we tend to think, oh, you don't want to be that lost sheep, and you don't. And you don't want to be that lost coin, you don't. And you certainly don't want to be that prodigal son, you don't. No doubt about it. Uh, and if you're, if you're, uh, running, kicking, and screaming from Jesus today, um, wow. Your life's going to be horrible until he catches you. Cheery? Okay? And you know what? I pray that it is hard so that it will be easier to catch you. Right? Um, Because being caught by Jesus uh, is better uh, than not being caught by Jesus. So as as we look at this today, you have to see who this text is addressed to. So... Let's uh, let's look at the context to who to, to whom is Jesus speaking? Well, uh, Luke makes that very clear to us in the first two verses. Uh, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, here's here's the thing. So we're so inoculated against this that when we hear this text that. You know, the sinners and the Pharisee, uh, the uh, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. We think, well, they were the good people. No. No. Mm-mm. You don't want these people as your neighbors. You want the Pharisees as your neighbor. Yes, you do. Because Pharisees cut their grass every week, whether it needs it or not. 
Pharisees keep the leaves out of their yard. Pharisees don't park boats in front of their houses. Pharisees keep property values high. Okay? Right? Pharisees are great neighbors. They are on the spot. They, they take care of things, right? They're neat. They're orderly. Uh, and so, so the, so the, so the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors, you know, we, one, uh, uh, bit of research I did this week called, called the, changed the word from sinner to outcast. Well, uh, you can't do that because the word, the word is sinner. Uh, these are, these are not nice people. And, and just so you know who we're talking about here, uh, uh, how many people in the last week, two weeks, three weeks, month, how many convicted felons, how many thieves, murderers have you had at your house? Now, we have some convicted felons that worship here. Um, um, but they've cleaned themselves up. <laughs> and so they don't, they don't, you know, they, you'd never know it by looking down the road because they look just like you, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, the truth is, now you're all thinking, who is that? And, and some of you are thinking, how did Steve know that about me? <laughs> yeah, that's even better. But, um, but these are not the kind of people that you that you go out of your way. So so before you line yourself up in this with uh, 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 the the tax collectors and the uh, uh, the uh, sinners, you need to see yourself f- for the the truth here. You know, these uh, the reality is that we we don't tend to gravitate towards these people, and the fact is, for most of us, these people don't gravitate towards us either. And there's a reason for that. And so, so as we look at this, the, the words we have to see that are spoken here that are so, so rich and so profound in these parables are for religious, uh, do-gooders, uh, who pretty much have their act together. And so they're looking at Jesus and they, Jesus is just infuriating them because Jesus is, 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 uh, his authority is being lost because these, the religious people look at him and say, not only does this guy sit with them, these people are actually seeking him out and they're actually listening to what he says and he sits down and he eats with them. So they're like, you know, this is, this is the craziest thing ever. Uh, any self-styled, uh, religious person who's a religious authority is not going to be seen eating, drinking, hanging out with these kind of people. You know, that's one of the things that is so scandalous about Jesus. You know, we we kind of think of, uh, about the story of Zacchaeus, right? That, you know, Zacchaeus uh, was this thief uh, uh, and government um, oppressor. Um, and so because he was short, he was a wee little man, as the hymn says, that it kind of makes him seem like he was kind of cute, right? He wasn't. The people in his neighborhood hated him. They hated him. And they had reason to hate him. He stole. He used the government to steal. He's not a nice guy. Okay? If you lived in Zacchaeus' neighborhood, and Jesus showed up and went and ate with him, you'd be like, wait a minute. What is going on here? That guy steals. Yeah. So, let's, let's kind of realign, uh, 
who, who this is for, right? So this parable is addressed to the grumblers. <laughs> now, you know, some of you build your whole lives around grumbling. You've, you're, your friends are the people who grumble about the same things you grumble about. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of how we build our coalitions in life. And that's how we kind of go about things. And, and, and if you're not grumbling about something, maybe I can talk you into grumbling about it, right? So, so these people are, one of the things that I know about grumblers, um, uh, because occasionally, uh, I'm one myself, is that, uh, not a lot of joy. Not a lot of joy in grumblers, right? By definition, you don't have much joy if you're grumbling. Uh, most people that have a lot of joy aren't grumblers. They're happy. They don't have anything to grumble about. But, but grumblers have a lot to grumble about. Uh, and, and if we can't find something to grumble about, we'll create something to grumble about, right? Um, and so these people are grumbling. So grumblies, grumblers, grumblies. Yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, the grumblies. Uh, in general are not very joyful people. And, and one of the things that you have to see about this parable, one of the themes certainly is lostness and deadness, but another theme is joy. Jesus is saying to the grumblers, cheer up! <laughs> There's reason for joy, and it's happening right in front of you, right? Uh, and they're like, no, we'd rather grumble. You know, there's there's a certain kind of weird person who I can, you know, they, 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 they are happier. Their joy, weirdly, is actually in grumbling, you know. That's like a dog chasing its tail. But I, I, for, for whatever reason, Jesus chooses to look at these people and he's going to tell them these three stories uh, to help the grumblers kind of get a handle on the fact that there's not much joy. So we're going to revisit joy in just a minute. But now we need to talk a little bit about lostness. Now, now what can we say about lostness, right? So the way we tend to think about lostness uh, is not as stark as uh, as this text is. Now, Jesus is a rabbi, and one of the techniques that rabbis use is they will they will say something a, a couple of times, a couple of different ways, but they're saying the same thing, right? So at the end of this, Jesus says, uh, in verse 24, he says of the son who, who was prodigal, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. He's saying the same thing. They're parallel statements. So in Jesus's mind, in this parable, lost isn't just can't find their way home. Lost is dead. Um, one of the things my dad and I laughed about uh, the last week of his life, we were uh, reminiscing about uh, work we used to do when I was a kid on our farm. Now, my dad uh, uh, advanced very far in life uh, from z- zero, honestly, less than zero. Um, his only inheritance from his family was not an axe, but an axe head. That's it. I'm not exaggerating. That's it. That's what he got. And 
It wasn't, and we didn't take that axe head. This is another window in our family. So you would think, well, you would take that axe head and like put it in a frame and hang it up in the house. No, we used it. We cut wood with that. So, um, I, I remember we were, we, we laughed about that when, um, when, when I was a, a kid uh, on our farm, often what we would do is we would make two cuttings during the season of hay. We'd take one cutting and we'd put it in the barn. And then later in the season, we would make another cutting. And rather than take that hay and put it in the barn, we would find trees that were appropriately sized that were next to our pasture fields. And we would stack the hay around the trees. Now, to stack the hay around the trees, you have to lop the limbs off of it up to a certain point so you can stack the hay up on it. We'd stack the hay around the the tree. We'd put a piece of uh, a tarp over it, and we'd make a little kind of temporary fence around it. So when February or March came and we were running low on food, we could just knock the fence down, take the tarp off, and the cows could just eat right there. We wouldn't have to go to the barn. We wouldn't have to do anything like that. Um, My dad and I were out doing that one afternoon. I was about 10 or 11 years old, and we were stacking the hay. Uh, we trimmed this tree up and it was getting late. And he said, you need to go back to the barn and, uh, milk the cows. Uh, <laughs> one of the funniest things about, uh, my dad's memorial services, uh, John McGurn was sitting, uh, next to one of my cousins and I got to know my cousin. My cousin leaned over and says, you know, Steve was essentially an indentured servant growing up. Can you imagine an 11-year-old being responsible for 60 head of cattle? Anyway, I had to go back to the barn, take care of the cows. Um, Time passes, and a week or two, and my dad comes to me and says, where's my axe? You boys are always into my tools, and you always lose them. You always scatter them about. I can't find my axe. Well, I'm like racking my brain. Most of the time I'm guilty. But this time I'm like, that axe. I really don't remember doing anything with that. And so my dad must have had some suspicion that, you know, that I wasn't totally responsible for losing it. So he, you know, uh, he doesn't punish me, but periodically we would be talking about something or something would happen and he would say, wow, you know, if I had my axe, uh, sure do wish I knew where that axe was. Well, uh, several months pass, February, March, we go out, we're unwrapping the um, haystack, uh, the cows are eating the hay, and lo and behold, after a couple of days, there's the axe laying in the bottom of the haystack where he'd left it. And so we were talking about that the week before he died. And he's like, yeah, I gave you a hard time about that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, and I'm the one who lost it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it was a great, great conversation. Um, well, you know, that axe was still existing in time and in space, but it might have been gone. It might as well have been gone because we couldn't use it. We didn't have it. It was as if it were dead and gone, right? So lostness is not this kind of thing that that you should look at and think of as something that is uh, not a a grim reality of the world. Uh, Lostness 
equals death. And in this parable, those things that are lost, whether it's a sheep that gets lost, is dead. Really dead, because whatever, whatever predators are out there will eat it. A coin is lost, is dead, because you can't spend it, and you can't save it, and you can't invest it, right? And a son who is gone and uh, unseen, unheard from, is essentially to the parents, dead. So, so what Jesus is communicating to us is here that this lostness is a big deal, right? And that, that this is, uh, something that we have to, 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 to take account of. Next slide. So, um, though we don't recognize it, we live in a world where loss is at work. And that's one of the things that is so hard for us because we spend so much time and energy, uh, inoculating ourselves, insulating ourselves against loss, right? Uh, a lot of you make your living doing that, you know, assessing risks, assessing the possibility of loss and making sure that when something happens, when when a disaster happens or if something happens, that there's somehow or other that that lost, it, loss is insured. But you know, if you've ever lost anything, if anything's ever happened to you that would cause something like that to need to, to happen, that you would need insurance to protect you, uh, there are some things that are lost forever, right? Well, the same thing is true for us. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of, the, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they disobeyed God's command, the world fell into a state of lostness. The, the, that so that our, the, the definition of our lives and the way our lives work, uh, it all ends in loss. Now, that, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard thing for us to, to, to hear and to understand. But outside of the work of Jesus Christ for us, death is the ultimate loss. Everything you've accumulated, everything you've done, uh, even to some degree, even memory of you, ultimately over time after you die is lost. It's gone. And there's no getting it back. Right? So, so what happens here is that we have to see that this a state of lostness isn't just the one coin or the one sheep or the one son that's short of the work of God. The whole of creation, the whole of the universe, the whole of the world, the whole of the human race is lost. And therefore, for all intents and purposes, dead. Right? A lost coin and a lost sheep will struggle to find their way back. In fact, no, no lost coin ever gets up and, and runs back. And sheep, uh, because of the nature of, of, of their activity and the way they go about the world, they don't come back either. In fact, that's what's so uh, crazy about this is, is that the shepherd has to go get him, has to go get the sheep, and he doesn't, he doesn't lead the sheep back, you know? Unlike Psalm 23, you know, my shepherd leads me. He's not leading him. He's picking him up and carrying him. So just imagine what that conversation is like between the shepherd and the sheep on their way back to the sheepfold. Why'd you do that? What are you doing? Don't you know that uh, this is unsafe, right? So, so he has to take the sheep, put him on his shoulders and bring him back. We actively participate in getting lost. We wander, right? But to be found is passive, right? The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. The woman goes and finds the coin, right? 
And so, so the reality that he's getting at here is for us to, to understand that, that lostness really does equal deadness. And so unless something rescues us and something outside the system, someone comes and gets us, we are lost permanently and therefore dead, right? So, so as we see this, this is these, these, this sheep, this coin and this boy are in dreadful peril. And then unless something happens to them, uh, uh, this peril will be their end. But the fact is, because of the goodness of our God, because of his kindness, because of his mercy, because of his grace, and because of his pursuing love, each one of these stories ends in joy. And so the point here is not so much finding what was lost, that's certainly it, but the end of the story is joy. And I, I think that is, that is a, that's, that's a, that's a pretty profound thing for us to think about. Especially grumblers like us. Now, because the way I think many grumblers operate, and I, and I know this to be a fact, that many grumblers think God is a grumbler. We've created, we've created this, this God who, who is a grumbler, right? Rather than a God who is at work on mission, uh, to seek and to save that which is lost for his joy. The shepherd comes back and says, this sheep who was dead uh, is now alive. This the, the lady finds the coin and says, hey, let's throw a party because I found my coin. And the father has a joyful party at the return of his son. Right. So all of this ends in joy. That's the point. And and one of the r- ways you can tell how close you are or where you are in the process of being found, where where you are in the process of evaluating the extent of your lostness and the extent of the grace finding you in Jesus Christ is the amount of joy that you have, right? Next slide. And this is something that's important for us because we have to ask the question, what gives God joy? Well, what makes him throw a party? What what is it that makes him think, you know, this is a great thing? Well, the finding that which is lost and bringing life to that which is dead, that gives God joy. But here's the thing. It's not just that that gives God joy. It gives God joy that is so big and so overflowing. What does he say? Come and rejoice with me. Come and celebrate with me because of the big thing that God is doing in the world. That is Seeking and saving that which was lost and giving life to that which was dead. And so, you know, we, we hear this and I, I think for most of us, our God, the God that we worship is not a God that experiences joy for many of us. But this God throws parties. This God is, is having a lot of joy. Now, now that for many of us who've been uh, followers of Christ for a long time who, who've been found a long, long time ago. You know, we don't we don't have much joy. Well, we do. It's right here. I have internal joy. I don't do that giddy thing. I don't do that happy thing, that smiley, laughy thing. That's not joy. This is joy. Right. Well, there's parties and lo and behold, you know, the one that is most difficult for us is that 
the father says, you know, let's rejoice. And they began to celebrate with music and dancing. (laughs) Dancing. You know, that would be worth it to have a party where I could watch all of you dance. <laughs> what, a, what a fascinating picture this is. Well, the truth is, the end of all three of these stories end in joy and a giant party with music and dancing. Why? Because that which was lost has been found. That which is dead has been made alive. That is the, that, that's the, the whole point of the work that God is doing in redeeming and saving a people for himself, seeking and saving that which is lost, giving the gift of repentance, turning people around, going and seeking and saving them. The whole point of that is not just to morally upgrade the creation, but it's for his joy and for our joy. On the day, first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's uh, confess our sins together by using uh, this prayer of confession that's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there is no help in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent. According to your promises declared to us, in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. History ends with a party, the marriage feast of the Lamb, uh, the joy of uh, uh, the restoration of, 
of all that sin would steal and death would steal from us. That's what Jesus came to do. Uh, And that is the source of the Lord's joy, and it is the source of our joy. Um, Maybe you don't have any joy today because you've lost the sense that this is the great thing that God is doing in the world. Or maybe, maybe you've lost your joy today because you think Jesus has somehow or other stopped seeking and saving that which was lost. The hope of the world is the seeking, pursuing love of Jesus Christ, demonstrated to us by his atoning death and resurrection for us. That's the hope of the world, and that's the source of our joy. One of the things that we have to see about this, too, is Jesus, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he is still doing that. He hasn't quit. And not only is he, is he not quit seeking to save that which is lost, which is outside of his flock, outside of uh, those that have already belonged to him, but he is continuing to pursue those of us who would wander, those of us who would squander our birthright, those of us who would, would, would wander away from that uh, which Jesus offers to us. He continues to pursue. He continues to go after that. And that's our hope. If, if you have a sense today and you have proclaimed to a body of believers somewhere that your only ultimate source of hope and joy, your final source of hope and joy, the uh, unmistakable and uh, unending source of your hope and joy is the work of Christ for you. Um, then he, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He invites you this morning to come, to eat, uh, and to, to uh, have a sense of his joy and what it is that he has done in seeking and saving you. So as the elders come down front, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice. And as we saw earlier in the service, uh, we saw uh, Corinne Lewis and Karsten Stiles uh, profess their faith. Uh, the Styles and the Lewis family uh, will lead us in taking communion this morning as their kids uh, uh, take the Lord's Supper for the first time.